Well, good evening. Welcome to those of you that are watching from Facebook Live. Uh, had a nice weekend with the new grandkids, so, uh, but we're back. Uh, we are in Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25. Let's read that and we'll pray. Uh, chapter 7, starting in verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am made out of flesh, sold into sin's power. For I do not understand what I am doing, because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So now, I am no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh, for the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but it is sin that lives in me. So I discover this principle, when I want to do what is good, evil is with me. For in my inner self, I joyfully agree with God's law. But I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man that I am. <clears throat> Who will rescue me from this dying body? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with my mind, I myself am a slave to the law of God, but with my flesh to the law of sin. Let's pray. Father, as we uh, come this evening, we thank you once again for an opportunity to get into your word. We ask, Lord, that you would uh, open our hearts and our minds to the things that you have for us, that we might see uh, the truth and understand it as to how it applies in our day-to-day. And Lord, we recognize that we all go through this, and we do pray, Lord, that you might grow us through this so that we might uh, be able to live uh, according to the power of the Spirit within us and not according to the unredeemed body that we happen to live in. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, years ago, as I was reading through uh, Romans chapter 7, uh, you spent a little bit of time uh, kind of explaining this new relationship that you have with Christ compared to the relationship you had with sin in those f first six verses. And then you can see where Paul uh, goes back and gives a little testimony of how he came to know uh, about salvation because he thought he was doing a good enough job living according to the external expectations of the law. And as he examined that, he realized, though he may have been from looking from the outside, he may have been blameless, he knew in his heart he had problems, and in recognizing that, recognized his need for the Savior. <clears throat> As we come into this section, uh, he's continuing to give testimony as to what's happening in his life as a new believer. Now, it's not that this section doesn't apply to more mature believers. Hopefully, as a more mature believer, you've understood this and you've understood uh, how to overcome it by getting into Romans chapter 8, uh, which, Lord willing, will begin next week. Uh, but the reality is, is 
most people probably spend a lot of time living the experience of Romans chapter 7. And there's a few reasons. Number one, we come back to the concept of discipleship. Why did Christ tell us to go and make disciples? Teaching them to observe all things that he commanded, knowing that he would be with us always. Because like birthing a child, that child is completely dependent upon his parents. And for a period of time, completely dependent means completely, okay? And then as they grow, they become a little bit more self-sufficient, and you're training them and teaching them how to be interdependent. Uh, we've used the word independent for so many years, and, <clears throat> and we see the results of that. Ho- hopefully you understand. Independent means they don't need you. And the, the wonderful thing about discipleship is you're able to continue to build into their lives. And so as parents, we need to understand that's part of our job. But as believers, it's also part of our job. And, and why? Because you're further along than that other believer, or you're dependent upon someone that's further along than you. Uh, this is why uh, Paul tells Timothy to be looking for men that are able to teach others also. Uh, this is why Paul tells Timothy that uh, younger women should be learning from older women. And uh, we're, we're so independent. You might remember a few years back, uh, pastor said, I know my people. They're about as independent as pig's feet on ice. Now imagine that. That's a good picture. You see these feet going all over the place. Um, and the reality is, is we're not supposed to be independent. We're supposed to be interdependent. Uh, we are part of a body, not a bunch of individuals that show up at a building at a certain time. Uh, so when we come to Romans chapter 7, we see that one of the reasons why people spend so much time living their lives wanting to do right and not being able to figure out how to overcome the sin that's in this body, the law of sin that's in this body, is because we're not really active in discipleship. Another reason why a lot of people live their lives here for a long period of time is because of uh, the legalistic tendencies of people. You know, if we can just fake it till you make it, if we can just follow the rules in the external fashion so that nobody knows the problems that I struggle with. And I wouldn't want anybody to know because what would they think? Who cares? I can tell you as someone who hasn't really cared too much about what people think that people are going to think a lot of things. And they may very well be right on some of those things. And then what would be their responsibility if they thought something about you that was true and you hadn't figured out how to fix it? Forbearance? Well, help. I mean, God forbid that we should be honest with each other and some of us cry out for help and others actually be there to help. No, it's so much easier to judge them. You know, you're just not following the rules. If you just follow the rules, everything would go okay. And no, 
<laughs> it doesn't always work that way. And then there's a third reason why people spend a lifetime in Romans chapter 7. And that'll come back to that independent spirit where I don't need anybody. And uh, mm, they're not really... There's a, there's a few passages in Scripture that, boy, if we could just put those into full-time implementation, it would save us a lot of hassle. Here's one for you. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Do we? Do we seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness? Maybe not as much as we should. How about this one? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. Do we? In all our ways acknowledge Him? Uh, Lynn and I were catching up on some Bible reading. Figured you're in a car for four hours. You might as well turn on that uh, uh, HCSB and uh, listen, you know. Got it running through the radio, so it's loud enough for us deaf old people. And uh, (laughs) in in Numbers, at one point, um, God told the people, now this is the Holman Christian Standard uh, Bible, that they were not trusting him in all their ways. They were not. They were leaning on their own understanding. And you know what he calls it? Idolatry. It's kind of like, I've got to go back and find that passage because it's not how it says it in the New King James or the King James. You know, I've read that enough times. And it's kind of like, that's pretty good because, boy, if we just weren't so independent thinking we could handle life, oh, when we are, that's called idolatry. That's worshiping the wrong God, yourself. So when we come to Romans chapter 7, uh, this gives us a good picture of a stage that we should go through. If you're normal, you'll go through this. The problem is, is if you're normal, you'll probably live here for a long time. Doesn't have to be that way. But like I say, there are a few things that make it happen that way. So uh, let's see. Uh, as Romans 7 through 13, Romans 7, 7 to 13, was talking about Paul's conversion, verses 14 through 25 deal more with his sanctification. So our title tonight is Indwelling Sin. Now notice the first recognition of Paul's reality is in verses 14 through 17. So let's start out with his condition. First of all, he says, Four, which carries the idea of because. So let me read 13 and 14 for just a moment. Therefore, did what is good cause my death? Absolutely not. On the contrary, sin, in order to be recognized as sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that through the commandment, sin might become sinful beyond measure because we know that the law is spiritual. So he says for, but basically has the idea of because. He goes on to say, we know that the law is spiritual. The law is never the problem. Uh, Before salvation, it's not the problem. It's sin that's in me. It is somehow me not understanding that the problem is an interior problem. After salvation, the law is not the problem. It's still 
I live in this unredeemed body. The body is not the problem. It's sin that dwells in it. And that's what he's trying to bring across here. So he moves on. Salvation by grace doesn't devalue the law because it was never the means of salvation. If you go back to the Old Testament, how did people get saved? Now, we don't call it saved back then. But, you know, somehow they're entering into a relationship with God. How'd they do it? It wasn't through the law. I mean, the best example which Paul makes reference to in chapter 4 is Abraham. Abraham believed God. He did it before he was circumcised. He did it before the law was given. And anyone who comes the way Abraham comes is justified, just like Abraham was. And what was Abraham believing? Well, he was believing the revelation that God had given him up to that point, okay? Uh, I'm sure there might have been some clarification on the gospel a little bit later on, but uh, he was just believing that God said it. I, I believe it. That's good enough, okay? So um, salvation by grace doesn't devalue the law because it was never the means of salvation. Salvation is always the provision of God's grace by faith, and of course, you can look at Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, let's consider a couple of the people in uh, Hebrews chapter 11 that most of us would think, <laughs> that guy's not saved. <clears throat> How about Samson? How on earth does Samson make it? By faith. How was his faith lived out? Let me see. He hung out with girls of ill repute and no, 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 no. His faith was lived out when he surrendered himself to the Lord, was empowered by the Spirit of God to kill a bunch of the enemies of God. That's a little different compared to what we think living out faith looks like, but that's what it was. That's what God had called him to do, to judge Israel, to uh, take care of the enemies of God, and he did it. Uh, now, what he did on his time off, ah, another problem. He lived in Romans chapter 7 for a long time. Probably, he might say, his whole life. Uh, so notice he says, for the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. Uh, he's saying, I am still of the flesh. I'm still earthbound. I'm still mortal. I still live in this body that has not been fully redeemed yet. Notice, believers are not in the flesh, or if you will, in the realm of the flesh. And again, you can take a look at uh, Romans 7, 5. Oh, did I? Yes, I did. I put them up here just so you wouldn't have to. Romans 7, 5, for when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions were, which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. So that's in the realm of the flesh. In Romans 8, 8, 9, it says, So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you, brethren, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. So that concept, we're not in the flesh, but he says... Uh, that he is still of the flesh. Notice, he is no longer bound and enslaved to its sinfulness. We are not in the flesh, but the flesh is still in us. He goes on to say, I am sold under sin. Now, because of this, a lot of people confuse the passage, think that Paul is actually talking about someone who is unsaved, uh, but... 
Do unsaved people to de- desire to do what is right? Do they take joy in the law of God? And according to Scripture, no, they don't. So therefore, uh, he must mean something here that doesn't mean he's not saved. He's sold under sin in First uh, Kings 21. And hey, goody, goody, you're going to have to look those up because I didn't put them up here. Shame on me. Uh, you'll see a couple of verses there, uh, the idea of being sold under sin. Number one, some think this refers to an unsaved person. But number two, Paul uses a similar phrase in verse 23, referring to his members. Uh, and we'll see that when we get there. Now, uh, letter E, sin is so wretched and powerful that even in the redeemed person, it hangs on and contaminates his living and frustrates his inner desire to obey God. This is one of the things that I've said several times. I don't think most believers have a good biblical anthropology. Now, that shows itself in a couple of ways. First of all, my Catholic neighbor is a great person. They're a good person. No, they aren't. They're, to use old terminology, a dirty, rotten, scum of the earth sinner. Okay, now they might be good compared to some other dirty, rotten, scum of the earth sinner. Okay? They might be good as far as, hey, you live next to them and, and you know that they're not a problem neighbor. Cool. They're going to heaven because they're not a problem neighbor? No. It's only if they've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the goodness that they may exhibit is because of the work of God in them, not because they're good people. The second way that uh, a poor biblical anthropology shows itself within believers is thinking after we're saved that, you know, I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't go with girls that do, therefore, I'm doing pretty good. No, Paul has a correct biblical understanding of himself. He says, the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. In other words, sin is so wretched and powerful that even as a redeemed person, it hangs on, it contaminates my living, it frustrates this inner man that wants to do. Because it's been created after God in true righteousness and holiness, it wants to do what God wants it to do. And sin goes, oh yeah, watch this. And we wonder why we have a problem. So that brings us to the proof of Paul's condition in verse 15. He says, for what I am doing, I do not understand. The word understand there is gnosko. It basically means to know absolutely. In a great, it's used in a great variety of applications and with many implications. It is frequently used of a special relationship between people. To put it in Spanish or Portuguese, if I know that 2 plus 2 is equal to 4, I, I uh, yeah, it's the word saber, okay? Uh, I, saibu, I think, is for I know, okay? But my wife and I, I conheço. Totally different word, and the idea is one is talking about knowing facts, and the other one is to be acquainted with to some level. When we talk about uh, Adam knew Eve, that's the concept of gnosko, even though it's Hebrew, so it, 
uh, gnosko is not the word used unless it's a Septuagint, I imagine. So he's got a special relationship with uh, Eve. And we see this in uh, Matthew 7.23. And then I will declare to them, these are the people that say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do many wonderful works in your name? I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Or, or Galatians 4.9. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? Uh, notice Paul emphasizes the relationship they have with God over the doing of a bunch of, following a bunch of rules. 1 Corinthians 8.3, but if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.19, nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So that's the concept of uh, understanding uh, what I am doing. I do not know. I do not understand. Um, letter B, for what I will to do, what I desire to do, what I want to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. So Paul finds himself doing things of which he did not approve. Ever been there? Oh, yeah, you know it's wrong. You've done it so many times. You know it doesn't do, it doesn't give what it's promising. And before you know it, boom, you've done it again. Uh, that is something only a believer is really going to recognize because unbelievers, hey, let's face it, sin is pleasurable. And for an unbeliever who doesn't have the Spirit of God, who is not a new person, they might recognize that it's wrong, but that doesn't mean they're not going to enjoy themselves, you know. Uh, and as, as far as afterwards, most of the time they're not going to suffer the shame and guilt that a believer would because somehow I'm going to justify it or whatever the case may be. Uh, so he goes on, when looking at and agreeing with God's law, he found himself practicing which, that which was contrary to it. Uh, so notice, it is not the conscience that's bothering him about unconfessing. Again, some people say uh, that Paul's just suffering from a guilty conscience. He needs to confess his sin. It's all over with. No, 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 no. He is saying as an inner man, his inner man is grieved at the least infraction of the law. Think with me for a minute. Galatians five seventeen, For the flesh desires, lusts, against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish to. So uh, Paul not only talks about this battle in Romans, he talks about it in Galatians also. Of course, in Galatians, he's established in verse 16, if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So again, we're going to see that same concept uh, broadened a little bit in chapter 8. Uh, notice uh, the new man, the inner man. Uh, according to Ephesians 4.24, he is created in the likeness of Christ. Uh, in uh, Ephesians 4.24, I didn't put it in here, shame on me. It says, "...but put on the new man that's been created after God in true righteousness and holiness." 
Now, obviously, if the person is saved, they've already received this new man. And the idea of putting on is start acting according to who you are. Stop acting according to who you were, verse 22. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind or transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, Verse 23, 24, start acting like who you are in Christ. So that's the idea there. (coughs) Excuse me. Notice uh, the inner man is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 9, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Uh, Chapter 8, verse 11, But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to you to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. Notice he says that twice in that verse. Concept of the Spirit's indwelling. First Corinthians 3.16 Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Or uh, 2 Timothy 1.14 uh, That good thing which was committed to you keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. And last, James 4.5 or you do, do you think that the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealousy, jealously? So again, the inner man is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and as we are in submission to the Holy Spirit, the inner man is empowered by the Holy Spirit. But that's Romans chapter 8. Let's get back to Romans chapter 7. So we have his condition, the proof, and now the source in verses 16 and 17. He says, if then I do what I will not to do, I desire not to do, if I'm doing that which I don't want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So notice, when he fails, he's not saying it's the law's fault. He's recognizing it's not the law, it's me. The inner man wants to do what God has commanded. There is something else at work. Now, uh, again, talking about the inner man, notice the new covenant as uh, pronounced in Ezekiel 36, 25, 27. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your filthiness and from all of your idols. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit within you, I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Being participants in the new covenant, this is what God has done. So there's a part of us that wants to do, has the capacity to do that which God calls us to do, and yet he still finds failure uh, because of the body. Letter B, but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Notice this is not an attempt to evade personal responsibility. Um, In verse 14, let me go back there for a minute. uh, He says, uh, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. So he's already acknowledging I have this problem. He's not trying to evade that responsibility, uh, but he goes on to explain. Notice, not an attempt to evade, but now, he says, this is a change from then, now as a new person, uh, the word oiketi, it's a negative adverb of time indicating a complete 
and permanent change. Uh, So let me read verse 16 again here. He says, uh, And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So now I am no longer, that's the word oiketi, no longer the one doing it. I, the new me, is not the one that is sinning. Okay? So, uh, number two, oh, Galatians 2.20. Uh, most of you know it probably by heart. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Which I? The old man, Romans chapter 6. He was crucified with Christ. That part is not alive anymore. But Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, in this body, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So he's seeing the old eye, his old master is dead, the husband in Romans chapter 7, and now he's a new person, and this new person is living by the faith uh, of Christ that lives in him. Uh, So after salvation, sin is like a deposed, exiled ruler, no longer reigning, but continuing guerrilla warfare to mess with those that are under a new sovereign. One of the difficulties that the uh, British Army had during what we call the American Revolution was they were used to lining up, marching at each other, and taking shots at each other, and Whoever got more of the other group kind of won the battle. And though the Americans tried to play that game from time to time, whenever they did, they lost horribly. But if you're hiding behind a tree as they're marching through the forest, <laughs> it's called guerrilla warfare. And they, the British really struggled with that because that's just not how you did things. And thankfully, we probably won because of some of those kinds of things. But that's what sin does. See, sin still dwells in this body. It's not the body that's evil. It's sin in this body. And so even though I, a new person that live in this body, I want to do what's right, sin's playing guerrilla warfare. It's hiding behind the tree. It's jumping in and stabbing you when you're not expecting it and that kind of thing. So that's the idea here. Uh, Top of the next page, the second recognition of my reality. Now, I use my because as Paul is talking about his reality, the reality is, is it's my reality. If you're born again, it's your reality. It's the reality of all believers. We all go through this. Okay? So he moves on to, once again, his condition in verse 18a. He says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, in this body, nothing good dwells. Notice the word me here, in whom nothing good dwells, is not the same as I of verse 17. Uh, in verse 17, he's talking about the inner man, the, the new uh, creation in Christ. And we uh, see that in, going back on the first page, uh, letter A, number two, uh, letter little b, number four. You see the inner man is grieved at the least infraction of the law. The inner man is created in the likeness of Christ, and the inner man is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so in me, that's going to be talking about in his body, nothing good dwells. Now notice, sin only now resides in the flesh. 
verses 5 and 14. The body itself is not sinful. This is where the Jehovah's Witnesses get it wrong. Okay? Thinking that the body is sinful, the Christ spirit would have come upon Jesus at the time of the baptism. That's when the dove came down. And he is a God, if you will, until the crucifixion. And then, oh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, as a man, is speaking to the Christ spirit that was in him. Kind of like, wow, I'm glad that's not true. Okay? Uh, this is why they, ha- they say that God had to create other gods and lesser gods and lesser gods until they could put the Spirit of God or the Christ Spirit in him and it would kind of not be so defiled. They're kind of like, wow, <laughs> this is some uh, weird stuff over there. So again, it's not the body. You know, if I think with me for a minute. What did Christ say? If your eye offends you, pluck it out, right? Because it's better to enter into heaven being blind. Question. People have done this. They've cut off their hands. They've plucked out their eyes. Are they going to heaven because they did so? So does Christ really expect you to pluck out your eye? No, we teach the concept of get away from whatever it is that you're getting caught up with the eye. You know, if you're viewing porn on the computer, well, the best thing you can do is probably not be on the computer. But I have to be on the computer, work and all that kind of stuff. Yes, but there are programs that can help keep you accountable. And there are other people in the body of Christ that will help keep you accountable. See what I'm saying? So we we learn how to cut it off at the pass. Uh, learn how to uh, overcome that. Now, if you can stay away from the computer, then maybe that's the best way to handle it until you're spiritually strengthened to learn how to overcome that thing. But uh, again, I'm not sure that uh, it's the body that's the problem. It's the heart. Uh, Notice, the body is not sinful. It is still subject to sin. Notice, uh, and and I got a lot of verses here, but I want to read them for a little bit here. In in, uh, the word lusts, which basically means strong desire, right? Uh, Let's consider a few verses. Romans 6, 12. Therefore, do not let uh, let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. See, sin is in the body and it has desires. Okay, uh, Romans thirteen fourteen. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts, its desires. Uh, Ephesians four twenty two. That you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Now notice grows. That's a present tense. Um, Though the old man is no longer my master. Okay, I, I'm not enslaved to him anymore. It's still growing corrupt because of what I'm being bombarded by. And that's why I have to put off the deeds. Uh, How about uh, Titus 2.12? Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. 1 Timothy 2.11. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. And then last, uh, 2 Peter 1.4. 
by which gave, uh, have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lusts. Now, what we see there is, yeah, you're saved. You got this new man inside of you, but you also have sin dwelling in this body. And it operates with lusts. There are ways to overcome it. And let me see. When we're not involved in discipleship or when we're following a bunch of rules and regulations that do not uh, cordon off lust in any way, shape, or form, we just try and hide it from everybody. Or if you're living independently, which means you're not living in the power of the Spirit, what happens? Lusts show themselves over and over and over again. How about the need for mind renewal? In uh, Romans 12, 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Ephesians 4, 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Uh, Philippians 2, 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And again, uh, the mind there was humility, servant of God, doing whatever God wants you to do. Philippians 3.15, Therefore let let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything you, uh, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Colossians 3.2, Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. So there's a need for mind renewal. Otherwise, you don't overcome the lusts that are in this body. And then, of course, notice not to believe lies. Philippians 3.19 says, uh, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Now, he's specifically speaking about pagans, but what happens if you, as a believer, set your mind on earthly things? You know, I, I, I really, I'd like a 2500 uh, Duramax. Pickup truck, diesel, 2500, one ton. Oh, man, that's a nice truck. What happens? Every time you see one, oh. Man, I, I got to get one of those. I saw one today on the way back from Kansas City, and it was pulling a trailer. I mean, like a, a camping-type trailer. Ha! Oh, I'm not sure my truck could pull that trailer. Man, see what happens? You start wanting it more and more. It becomes, in essence, the idol uh, because... Your mind isn't in the right place. You're believing lies. How about 1 Peter 1.13? Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, the loose ends. Be sober. Rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Don't believe the lies. That's the idea there. So the body is not sinful, but it still is subject to sin when we're not about the business of understanding what's going on inside of us and uh, trusting God. Notice the body is the beachhead from which to operate in a believer's life, from which sin operates in a believer's life. And again, uh, Romans 7.23 will be there in a moment. This is the proof of that condition. Uh, I desire to do good, but... God's law is there and grows because the new inner man, 
Wow, I did not word that one well at all, did I? <laughs> the new inner man desires to do what is in God's law. Notice he says, for to will is present with me. Philippians three twelve through 14, not that I have already attained or am already perfect, perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call in, of God in Christ Jesus. I'm not relying upon my laurels. I'm not uh, concentrating on my failures. I'm letting that stuff go and looking forward and doing what I can uh, to do what is right. Notice, for the good that I will to do in verse 19a. In both of these cases, we see the desire to do good, to follow God's law, but uh, it, it grows as you're, as you're walking with Christ. You, you want to do it more and more, but the inner struggle because of practice. He goes on to say in letter uh, verse 18c, but how to perform what, that what is good, I do not find. Larry, let's go down to the gym right now, and I'm going to put 300 pounds on a 45-pound uh, Olympic bar. You're going to lay down on the bench, and I'm going to lift it up for you, and then I'm going to let you take it, and I'm going to drop it. And you're going to die. <laughs> um, uh, the reality is, is if you're not practicing with the bench press, uh, lifting those weights and going back and trying to do a little bit more, do a little bit more, do a little bit more. If we drop 300 pounds on you, you can desire all you want to. And chances are it's coming down on your chest and you're going to be screaming for help as long as there's still air in your lungs. <laughs> okay. Uh, and, and that's the idea here. Uh, how to perform that which is good. I find not. Uh, I don't know about you, but again, this stage of your spiritual life, how long do you, you know what's right, you want to do what's right, but you're just clueless in how to deal with it. And, and then the funny thing is, is, as you grow and you start getting some of this stuff down, and then someone else asks you, you sit there and say, oh, what do you mean you don't know? Well, we don't do a lot of analyzing of how God gives us victories and stuff like that. And if we did, we would find out we learned some of the lessons that are in chapter 8. So come back next week. No, um, <laughs> so uh, and notice the second thing, the inner struggle, because in uh, verse 19b, he says, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do. I desire not to do. That's what I practice. So we see the proof. Uh, he has a desire to do what's right, but figuring out how to do it because of sin in him, uh, he hasn't figured that out. And that brings us to uh, verses 20 through 17. That's pretty good. It's supposed to be 20 to 23. Sorry about that. This is talking about the source. He again repeats what's in verses 16 and 17 to prove a point. He says, I don't want to do it, and yet I do it. Now, that's my uh, paraphrase of it. He says, now, if I do what I will not to do, 
Okay? I don't want to do it, and, and yet I still do. Okay? If that's the case, it isn't me, but that which is yet unredeemed, that which is still in me because I'm in this flesh. It is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Now, this is the second time that he's using this concept, it's no longer me, the new creature. It's no longer me, the new inner man. It is sin that dwells in this body. That's why I keep on falling on my face. I haven't figured out how to overcome it yet. Uh, And again, by the time Paul writes this, obviously he's learned how to overcome it, but he's going through the process of explaining this whole thing. Why? So that we can relate. Yeah, I know what you're talking about, Paul. Now I need to get into Romans chapter 8. Problem, I'm not done with 21 through 23 yet. (laughs) Okay, so uh, let's take a look at uh, verses 21 and 23. Let her see the third recognition of my reality, as if two wasn't enough. Well, let's see. He starts out again with his condition. The continuance, uh, continuing presence of evil in the believer's life is so universal that Paul calls it a law. He says, I find then a law. Let's go up on the tower and step off. And we're going to find then a law. It's called gravity. And we are going to descend very quickly and hopefully not break too many things when we hit the ground, right? That's the idea here. I find then a law, something that is so universal that no matter who you are, it's going to be true about you too. What's the law? Well, that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. Now, you'll notice I have Genesis 4-7 here. It's hard sometimes to go back to an Old Testament unbeliever and explain a biblical truth for a believer. But look at what he says here. If you do well, will you not be accepted? Okay, Cain's an unbeliever. Can he do well? We like to say there's none that does good and all that kind of stuff. But what was the issue here? You bring a sacrifice. What kind of sacrifice? Everybody wants to get hung up on that whole thing. Please understand revelation that we have. And again, uh, Moses didn't write everything about the story. He wrote, it what, uh, he wrote what was necessary for the story. The only revelation that we have is an animal sacrifice. We can talk about vegetables a little bit later on. Maybe they would have been acceptable. But obviously something made them not acceptable. And that was Cain, okay? Whether it be his attitude, his heart, however you want to describe it, Cain didn't want to do what was expected. And he's just saying, look, if you did what was expected, you're going to be accepted. It goes on to say, and if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. And again, we like to come to the New Testament and see where unbelievers can't. Oh, now that's not totally true, is it? Boy, there's an awful lot of self-disciplined people out there that would never be caught doing some of the sinful things that even believers do. But that's not the issue, is it? It's the heart, okay? And because their heart 
is still enslaved to sin, even though you don't see the externals, they still have a problem. And so uh, sin lies at the door. And the same thing is true for the believer that sin still dwells in this body. If you don't do right, well, what's the right that you got to do? Put on, put off, put on, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, submit yourself unto God because uh, it's only through His power that dwells in you that any of this stuff can... Humility, okay? And again, that w- we'll see a little bit more of this in chapter 8. Uh, but uh, he says that evil is present when, with me, the one who wants to do right, the one that wants to do good. So he moves on from his condition to the proof in verses 22 and 23a. The first proof is that sin is no longer his master. He says, for I delight in the law of God. Again, believers delight in the law of God. Unbelievers? Nope. Okay? Uh, Psalm 1-2, uh, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. That's the idea here of the delight. The word there is suned domai, uh, to rejoice uh, in, uh, within oneself, to feel satisfaction concerning or to delight. Um, I saw a little TikTok uh, today. A guy was saying, you know, if you're going to offer me ice cream, it does not matter what I am doing. I could be mowing the lawn, and if you come out and offer me ice cream, there's only one answer, yes. Okay, and he went on and on, and it was really funny. But the he delights, he takes pleasure in ice cream. Do we take pleasure? Do we delight in the law of God, in the Word of God, in learning more about Him and His ways? Well, if you do, I guarantee you it's going to help you overcome the evil that's in you. Uh, so it's, it's a start. It, it's not a finish. Uh, notice, according to the inward man, 2 Corinthians uh, uh, 4.16 Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. By the way, that doesn't just happen. Oh, boy, I'm growing spiritually. I'm not in the Word of God. I'm not going to church uh, uh, how many ever times a week. Uh, And I'm growing spiritually. Nope. I told you about a TikTok I saw here recently where they actually did a study on the effect of the Word of God in a person's heart. If you read the Word of God one day a week, that's kind of like going to a church service. It does absolutely nothing for you. At which point, a bunch of people are going to say, well, fine, then I won't go. No, that's not the idea. If you read it two days a work a week or go to church twice a week, uh, for the most part, it does absolutely nothing for you. If you read the Word of God three times a week, it starts opening your eyes a little bit. Four times a week, you start having a little bit more confidence in God and your faith has increased a little bit. Five times a week, and there's an uptick in the victory over uh, private sins, pornography and stuff like that. A big uptick. Six days a week, if you read the Word of God, before you know it, you're actually walking with God and trust. And this is all done in a study. And it's kind of like, wow, that's some good stuff. I posted it to Facebook, and you can see TikTok. It won't open it up. Because we don't want people getting into the Word of God, right? And yet, we're supposed to delight 
according to the inward man in the Word of God. Ephesians 3.16, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. Colossians 3, 9 and 10, Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, who is, notice, renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. How? Just kind of happens? No, you're renewed as you're spending time in the Word of God. Uh, A little bit later on in chapter 3, it says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Okay? So, uh, uh... According to the inward man, letter B, the second proof that sin is no longer his master, he says, but I see another law in my members. The word another here is heteros. Uh, Notice it says other or different, altered, else, next day. Uh, The idea is uh, there's a couple of words that can be used for another. Another of the same kind, another of a different kind. This is one, another of a different kind. When we think of... uh, a heterosexual, okay? It is someone who, if there were going to be intimacy, it's going to be someone of a different gender, okay? Uh, That's the idea here. Uh, Notice it doesn't operate in the inner person, but in the members. So this law that he's seeing, another law in his members, it doesn't operate according to the new person, the inner man. It operates in the members. And notice this uh, law is warring against the law of my mind. The redeemed inner man wants to do what God wants to do, delights in the law of God and this law is fighting against. Uh, Galatians 5.17 again says, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you want to. Okay? So uh, that's the idea of warring against the law of my mind. And that brings us to the source Verse 23b, uh, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin. Now, he's already said that he was sold uh, into bondage or into sin. Let me see, to put it, sold under sin. Here he's saying he's uh, brought into the captivity to the law of sin. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, For though we walk in the flesh... We do not war again according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments. Now, when you think of arguments, is that an emotion or a reasoning factor in the brain? I know when you have arguments, you become emotional. But it is a reasoning factor of the mind that it's talking about. So it is casting down arguments, the lies that the devil puts up there. It's casting those down. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Why do so many people live so long in Romans chapter 7? Because though we live in the flesh... Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Well, you know, if you just don't smoke and don't chew and don't go with girls that do, if you just follow these rules, yeah, I can do that. Does that fix the sin problem? Oh, you might be able to fake everybody out and make it look good on the outside, but it doesn't mean it fixes the inside. 
See, now you're warring against the flesh. That's one of the three things that I say uh, causes people to stay here in Romans chapter 7 for so long because if I follow all these rules, I'll be good. No, you won't. Because first of all, you can't completely. You might be able to fake people out, but it doesn't take care of the heart problem or the law of sin in your members. Uh, He goes on to say uh, this law uh, that brings them into captivity, the law of sin, is in his members. And I just read you Galatians 5.17. So that brings us down to the final recognition of my reality. Now, again, for the legalist, the person that wants to live by all the rules, they don't understand this part. Oh, wretched man that I am. You must think that I'm okay. Hey, how you doing? Doing good. Yeah, I just had an argument with my wife and my kids. They didn't obey on the way here. And we argued like crazy and screamed at each other on the way to church. But now we've all got our smiles on. And we are doing just fine. Ask us and we'll tell you. Oh, wretched man that I am. Oh. And you might be able to admit it to yourself, but here Paul is writing to a whole church, most of the people he's never met. Oh, wretched man that I am. He goes on, who will deliver me from this body of death? And again, it's not the body that's the problem. It's unredeemed. The law of sin is still in it. And that's why he calls it the body of death. Uh, Notice, making clear that the unredeemed part of him remains subject to sin and therefore to death. Uh, The word ruhomai here, um, to rush or draw for oneself, to rescue. Who will deliver me? Who will rescue me? Who will set me free from this uh, body of death that has this law of sin in it? Romans 8, 2. Go home and look at it. We'll talk about it next week. (laughs) Number three, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know how many times I've heard messages about having victory in Jesus and songs. We sing them, victory in Jesus. And then we go home and we try and follow the rules And we find that everything that he says in Romans chapter 7 is true about me. I want to do the right. I can't figure out how to do it. I don't understand what's going on. Well, here's what's going on. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, this is a conclusion. With my mind, as a new person, with my mind, I myself am going to serve the law of God. But as long as I'm in this body with the flesh... I'm going to serve the law of sin. Whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That doesn't sound like victory to me. No, it's it's an acknowledgement of truth. Remember these uh, young pastor that was sitting down with some big name pastor. I can't remember. It could have been J.I. Packer. It could have been um, Tozer. I I don't know. But uh, the waitress uh, that came and waited on them at the table... um, the young man saw her and it's kind of like, wow, she's pretty. And, he, and he's looking at her. And uh, then he realized who he was with. He said, man, God's still working on me in that area. And the senior pastor said, yeah, me too. Huh? Or another story of a, a preacher that was on a plane 
and he had been saved for years. And all of a sudden, something was going on in the plane that was a disturbance to him. And the language that came to his mind as to how he would respond to that situation was so vulgar. He hadn't said those words in years. And he goes, Lord, why am I struggling with this? I just want to remind you, you're still you. Now, you're not the old you. You're the new you, but there's still a part of you that is, it's the object, it's the beachhead for sin. And you need me. You need to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. You need to be seeking first the kingdom of God. You need to be sanctifying the Lord God in your heart day by day by day, or else this is where you're going to be. With your mind, you're going to want to do right. With your flesh, you're still going to do the wrong. Romans 8.1, when you find yourself in this situation, there is therefore now no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus. But we really want to get to verse 2. So next week, Lord willing, we'll take care of that. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you. Thank you that the battle that each one of us has struggled with is common to man. But you are faithful. You will give that which is necessary so that we may be able to bear it. So as we learn about these things, open our hearts and our minds and our eyes so that we might recognize there is a part of us that wants to please you, wants to do right. But there is still a part of us that we haven't figured out sometimes how to overcome. Open our eyes to the truths so that we may stand on them in the power of the Spirit and please you with our practice also, even though we are bombarded day in and day out by the lies of the enemy. Again, we thank you, Lord, for your love and care for us and that your anger has been dealt with on the cross of Calvary. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.